0: Would please, brothers and sisters, uh, would you stand and uh, turn? If you can grab one near you, to First um, Timothy chapter three, I'm going to read verses one to fifteen. Uh, the bulletin only has um, through verse um, goes down through verse seventeen. Um, but I'm going to be emphasizing through verse 15. This is 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, page 992 in the Pew Bible. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this chance to be together this morning. We pray, Father, that you'd send the Holy Spirit powerfully upon us, the same Spirit that moved Paul to write these words to Timothy. May that same spirit, Father, open our ears and our hearts and give us grace that we might hear your voice for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, uh, this is the last uh, sermon in our short series, 32 Years of God's Love. Uh, we've been thinking for the past several weeks about all the ways God has blessed Metrocrest Presbyterian Church. Over many years, decades, God has been faithful and just. Why conclude with a section about church officers? Well, there's a couple reasons for that. Did you know we're getting ready to have officer elections? Uh, next month, we'll be inviting you to submit nominations for our church officers. And so this gives us an opportunity to sort of reflect on that going into November and December as we look towards elections early next year. Uh, So that's one reason. But there's a more important reason. Uh, There's a great connection between officers and the government of the church and the church itself. Our theme today is the Church of Jesus Christ. And you can't really understand the Church of Jesus Christ unless you pay attention to how it is set up to be organized. Uh, Paul actually calls the church the household of God. Uh, he has a household, and we're a part of it. And there are ways in which we're meant to live together. That He has ordained ways for us to be able to do the work he's given us to do and to take care of one another while we do it, uh, to be witnesses to the world. And so I think it's really fitting that we spend some time here at the end of this season of of thanksgiving to reflect on church officers and i hope as we go through you'll see more and more why that is so important Uh, first timothy like the one passage we looked at last sunday second timothy uh, is from the apostle paul to his younger protege timothy Uh, timothy's quite a personality in the new testament Uh, he co-wrote according to paul 2 uh, Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, First and 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon. Uh, Timothy was right beside Paul through much of what we read about in the book of Acts. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul actually says he has no one like Timothy. They have a special bond, a younger man and an older man. They, they had served in mission together. They had done the Lord's work under very difficult circumstances. And since Timothy had been a young man, he had been beside Paul learning directly from the apostle about ministry. And so these two letters, 1 and 2 Timothy, are addressed to someone Paul loved dearly, who was a a, a unique assistant, someone who was right there, who helped him in the very demanding work of being the apostle to the Gentiles. So, this is a book that, as we read through it, we will note, is filled with personal affection. These are words from an older pastor to a younger pastor, full of love, full of wisdom. And uh, that's what we're going to be looking at today. What motivates Paul is love and wisdom. And he writes these words to Timothy with that in mind. The letter begins, if you flip back a page, uh, to, it begins in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Uh, Paul urges Timothy to remain in Ephesus. Uh, Church history actually teaches us that Timothy became the first bishop of the church in Ephesus, the first overseer. He was the first minister given special charge ...for this church that was very dear to Paul and that he had had a hand in starting. Um, Ephesians, the the letter to the Ephesians is is filled with references to Paul's personal experiences in this city in modern-day Turkey. Uh, Paul actually spent more time in Ephesus than almost any other church. He was there a long time, years, working with them, partnering with them, helping to observe the church and set the church on a good course... And so he entrusted his right-hand man to continue the work in Ephesus, to stay there, to oppose false teaching, which was always something Paul was concerned about, and to help promote this vision of the church as as a pillar and as a bulwark, a pillar which supports the truth and a bulwark which is meant to reinforce and strengthen it from all the pressures at work in it and against it. So Paul has a great concern for uh, the church in Ephesus, uh, and he entrusts it to his young protege. Uh, if you know the letter to the Ephesians, there are many memorable parts of it. One section that comes to my mind that has to do with this idea of the church of Jesus Christ is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, here Paul calls for Christian unity. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Uh, Paul, to the church in Ephesus, called for Christian unity. And that's always a call we have in Christ. Our life uh, as a part of his church, the one universal church here in our particular church is meant to be one that is unified, centered on Christ, built around him, our Lord, and the faith that we share in him. If you were to look at Ephesians chapter 4 and skip down to verses 11 to 16, Paul, having said this about the unity of the church and the importance of the church, in verse 11, goes on to talk about how the ascended Christ, in verse 11... Uh, he actually gives gifts to the church. And it's interesting to think about the gifts that Jesus gives to the church. I can think of a whole lot of gifts, so many gifts. Of course, each of us is individually gifted. Paul writes a lot about that, the gifting of the Holy Spirit. That's a gift from the Lord. We could talk about mission that's been entrusted to us. That's a gift from the Lord. We could talk about the resources he gives us, the buildings, the money, all the different things he gives us. But actually, when Paul singles out the gift of the Lord Jesus to the church that is called to be united, the gift which he singles out is people, officers, leaders. So here, as Paul writes a young leader in the church, uh, it's not a surprise that in Ephesians he echoes that, that. There's a great importance to the role of leaders, officers in the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself cares about that. Jesus himself presents, gives gifts of apostles and prophets as well as teachers and pastors. So uh, Paul has a very, very high view of the church and he has a very, very high view of of church leaders it's no wonder that in acts chapter 20 verse 17 when paul uh, is saying goodbye to the church in ephesus you remember what he does in uh, acts chapter 20 verse 17 he calls who the elders he calls the leaders of the church to come out to him and he gathers around and he prays for them and he shares his heart with them they share their heart with him and pray for him it's it's actually a, a very deeply moving scene where Paul, uh, who has such love for these partners in ministry, these co-workers who God has raised up in the life of the church in Ephesus. So there's there's no doubt, whether you're looking at Ephesians, 1 and 2 Timothy, uh, the book of Acts, really there's no doubt anywhere that church leaders were very important to Paul. He loved them, and they loved him. So one of the ways... Paul is expressing his love for the church is by talking to the church about officers. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, If you flip back to uh, 1 Timothy, uh, to uh, chapter 3, which is what we're going to look at in a second. I I want to remind you of the context. In chapter 2, uh, Paul, who's writing to Timothy, first focuses on prayer. It's one of my favorite passages. Pray for everybody, including kings and those in authority. We try to do that here at Metrocrest. It's been a, a ministry that's been very important to me, and I think to you as well. Uh, he focuses on prayer uh, in verse eight. Paul focuses on the role of women. Now, that's interesting. Uh, Paul had a very, very high ru- view of women. Uh, as a matter of fact, in First Timothy chapter uh, two, uh, sorry, First Timothy chapter, sorry, Second Timothy chapter one, Paul actually singles out Timothy's mother and grandmother, uh, Eunice and Lois, for some special words of gratitude. He knew that they were responsible for teaching Timothy about Jesus. They were the ones who had introduced him to the faith through the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures which pointed towards the New Testament Christ. And so Paul singles them out as he often does. He often singles out women in his ministry. Paul had a very, very high view of the role of women. He loved the ministry of women. He valued the ministry of women. And and it's right he should do that, of course, because so did Jesus, right? Uh, Jesus surrounded himself with with women who, who loved him as the Anointed one, as, as the chosen one, who, who were among his very first worshipers and who were literally the first witnesses to the resurrection. Going against everything in Jewish culture and the culture of his day, it was to women that God entrusted the witness of the resurrection of Jesus. And this Lord's Day, like every Lord's Day, we are indebted to those women disciples who simply shared with others what they had seen. So, Paul had a very, very high view of women, and we must have a high view of women as well. So, Kathy, thank you. Uh, Kathy uh, Collinsworth is a gifted, caring, committed Christian woman who has a role to play here at MetroCrest, coordinating us, helping us, supporting us in our role of caring for one another. That's a very, very important ministry, and our mission team is also coordinated by a gifted, caring Christian woman, deeply committed to the Lord. Kathleen, thank you. And our Sunday school, and on and on. We have a high view of women here at Metrochrist. May it always be so, because Paul did, and more importantly, even because Jesus did. So, in First uh, Timothy chapter two, Paul talks about prayer. In First Timothy chapter one, he talks about false teaching. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he, he focuses in on the role of women. That's an important section to read and understand. It's so misunderstood in our day, but uh, Paul wrote about that. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he turns to this interesting question about officers. Right after talking about the role of women, he turns immediately to talk about officers, the, the, the role, the dignity of officers. So let's look at that for a moment. In verses 1 to 7, We learn what Paul has to say about episkopoi. Uh, That's a Greek word that means uh, overseer. Uh, It's used interchangeably with the word elder, uh, presbyteroi, elders. uh, In verses uh, 1 to 7, that's what we'll see. And then in verses 8 to 13, we'll see Paul shifting to focus on another church office, deacons or diakonoi, servants, who are called to ministry as well. So let's see what Paul has to say to this church he loves, involving a young minister he loves, about the offices of the church that Jesus loves. First, overseers are elders. Look at 1 Timothy uh, 5, verse 17, across the page from our passage this morning. Uh, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Uh, I point this verse out because at the very beginning, in Paul's mind, there were a couple of kinds of elders, There were elders whose responsibility was ruling, helping to lead. And there were elders also who had a particular responsibility to preach and teach. And here we are 2,000 years later, and the Presbyterian Church in America still has that understanding. We still have ruling elders and teaching elders, both with equal dignity, both with responsibility in the life of the church. Both are very important in Paul's understanding of church officers. In one sense, it's one office, in another sense, there are different functions within that one office assigned to different people according to gifts and circumstances and what have you. So Paul, in verses 1 to 7, focuses in on this office of overseer or elder. He actually does use the word interchangeably several times. Uh, for instance, he, he talks about uh, the, the elders doing something as overseers. So it's well established that in Paul's thinking, and in fact, in the New Testament, uh, St. Peter does the same thing. He uses elder and overseer interchangeably to describe different things going on within the same office. So let's think about this for a moment, the idea of elders and overseers. Look at uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. If anyone despires the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Uh, this month before we start asking for nominations this is a good thing to recognize Uh, it is it is not necessarily uh, something uh, about ego that moves a person to uh, allow themselves to be put forward for church office i think sometimes people are afraid they don't want to be egotistical well paul anticipates that concern as he writes to timothy he says Anyone who aspires to church office, if it's on your heart to want to serve the church in the way that's going to be described and in the way we see in Paul and in Timothy, if that's on your heart, if that's something that interests you, that is a noble task. Don't be deceived. It is a noble task to want to serve in the way that Paul describes. I'm hoping there are people in this room right now who will be open to that idea. Because it's a noble thing to be open to. And I hope there will be those among you. In just a few weeks who will be willing to do that. And that's where Paul starts out. Interestingly it's a good thing. You're, you're not seeking personal glory necessarily. You're not doing something driven by ego. You're actually aspiring to do something noble. And the word translated noble really means beautiful. It, it's attractive. It. It helps the church when people are willing to serve and eager to serve. That's a good thing. And I encourage some of you who are sitting here today, and in fact, uh, all of us should be taking this to heart. How can I serve? How can I be involved? Speak to some of the team coordinators. Speak to your elders and deacons. And consider yourself as a possible candidate for church church office. So uh, Paul begins there interestingly. And then he goes on to describe the qualifications. Verse 2. Therefore, an overseer, this is Episcopos, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity. Now, If you read through that list, it actually describes generally what every Christian man is supposed to do, what every Christian is supposed to do. We're all supposed to be people who are behaving in a way that is above reproach. We're all supposed to be self-controlled and respectable and hospitable. Those are things that we all share as Christians. And Paul is basically saying every officer should have those gifts. Every person that Jesus calls to office whom he gives to the church will have those qualities which are common to every Christian. So when we get ready to nominate officers what we're looking for is officers who nobody's going to do this perfectly we're all sinners we all live in families that have issues but someone whose aim is this whose whose life is characterized by attention to these things it doesn't mean that that every officer has a perfect family i am so glad that's not required because we'd have no officers including me we we all stumble and as a father i've stumbled many 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 times So what's being described here is not perfection. What's being described is where our heart is, where our attention is, what we're trying to do. And every officer should have these general goals. Uh, Every Christian should have these general goals. All Christians should seek the power of the Holy Spirit to live the kind of life Paul's describing. What stands out in that list, though, at the very end of verse 2, is that people called to the office of overseer or elder should be someone who is able to teach that's the unusual quality sort of the unique quality among the officers of the church who are called to be elders they should have an ability to teach some translations call it aptness or a kind of a ability to try it an aptness to do something it does not mean by the way that every elder is a teaching elder We've seen there's a distinction. There are teaching elders. There are ruling elders. Uh, But every elder should have an ability to communicate the gospel. That's what's being talked about. Not necessarily standing in a pulpit or even leading a bible study but being able to communicate in a teaching way the truth of the gospel so every officer should have some ability to communicate the gospel in small groups in sunday school classes at home in one-on-one relationships or standing in front of a congregation like i am today should have some ability there doesn't mean you need to be a superstar it doesn't mean you need to be an entertainer Someone who's responsible for making a a lot of funny stories and jokes. That's an option. That can help. But what's really important is an eagerness and ability to teach the gospel. Why is that so important? Because the purpose of the elder and slash overseer is to help the church to grow into the truth. And if you have confused overseers, you will have a confused church. I mean, it's, I've seen it so many times. The spirituality of the church will never rise significantly higher than the spirituality of its leaders. It's the, the leaders lead by teaching. We shepherd by teaching in all kinds of ways. And so Paul singles this out. There has to be some ability to do that, to communicate the gospel. And it's specifically in words to Yes, in, in, in all the different ways he's talked about being a model, but here specifically in teaching the truth in words of the gospel. So as you're thinking about candidates for church office, specifically for overseer slash elder, be thinking of those who have some ability to communicate the truth, who have an understanding of it themselves. They can't teach what they don't know. So have some understanding of the truth and then an ability to communicate that truth to the rest of us. That's where Paul focuses when he describes this office of overseer. He talks about them being uh, not a recent convert. Why? Uh, he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. The devil's actually mentioned twice here at the end of verse 6 and the end of verse 7. The devil delights in confused leaders. The devil delights in leaders who are puffed up Let me tell you, one thing that we must pray for among all of our church leaders is ongoing humility. When we begin to be puffed up, the devil is ready to go into action in several ways because of our own internal fallenness and because of the impact it has on the community. One of the saddest things in the world is when scandal hits the church, and the whole community just sort of stands back and say, see, See, this is what the church is about. This is what happens among these Christians. It's one of the reasons Paul was so opposed to this idea of disunity and so opposed to this idea of leaders who get filled with themselves and puffed up and they, they start behaving in ways that are totally inappropriate and that bring shame on the church. Because the church is very important to Paul because the church is very important to Jesus. You are very, very important to Jesus. So Paul counsels Timothy, and through his letter to Timothy, he counsels us that that's what we should look for among our leaders. Humility, someone who's not puffed up, and someone who's not brand new. They've been around the block a time or two. They've learned the hard lessons. You don't want to make an enthusiastic new convert an overseer uh, because that person needs to learn through the school of hard knocks what life can be like. If they're qualified when they're newly converted, they will be much more qualified once they've been around the block a few times. So first there's this uh, emphasis on the ministry of overseers or elders. Not violent, he says, but gentle. That's that's an underrated quality to look for in our leaders. We want gentle leaders. Leaders who are noted as as being gentle. Not violent, but someone who is gentle. Like Jesus. Second, Paul turns in verse 8 to deacons. He says, deacons likewise. It's an interesting choice of words. He's saying everything he's just said about elders applies in a sense to deacons. Deacons likewise, So, in other words, he's sort of restating with a new emphasis. Likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Here the emphasis is not on teaching it, it's on holding it. Having it with a clear conscience. And I love the word mystery. (laughs) mystery is a word that's being reclaimed in our generation so much of what we know to be true about jesus is is a mystery and so the deacons like the rest of us are meant to be people who hold that truth you do not have to be a brilliant theologian to be an officer overseer or deacon but you do have to hold the mystery of the faith and that's the emphasis for the officer of the deacon. Let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. And here, interestingly, Paul mentions wives because it is a, a ministry of the whole family. It's, uh, it's, it's the deacon and his family. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. So again, it's a whole family ministry. And so Paul emphasizes that. You you can't separate from the family. And interestingly, Paul came from a family that was split. Uh, Sorry, Timothy came from a family that was split. Uh, Timothy was raised by a believing mother and grandmother and at least until he became older his father was not a Christian and did not believe the gospel that didn't disqualify Timothy from being an officer because families can be messy but the, the idea is what is the goal what is the trajectory what is the hope what's the aspiration what is the family aiming to be and to do and Paul emphasizes there has to be this unity of purpose as the deacon is being prepared and called. For those who, are, who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You see Paul's ongoing emphasis in the church. He's not interested in the officers because of simply who they are. He's interested in the officers because the difference they make in the church. Because officers are gifts to the church. Well, Paul wraps all this up in verses 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So, All of this is being passed to Timothy and from Timothy to us so that we will know how the household of God is supposed to operate. How are we supposed to relate to each other? And that's a good question for us to ask 32 years into our life as a church. Going forward with all the experiences we've had in the past, all the things we've learned in the past, going forward, what is life in the household supposed to be like? Well, Paul has just told us. It is, a, it is a household that is fully provided with leaders to help in the ongoing life of the church, to serve out its purpose as a pillar and a buttress of the truth. That's the role of the church, and officers are called to help do that, and that's what the officers do together. Um, Those who have not been trained when they are nominated and are approved by the session to stand for office will go through a year-long training program, which we'll be starting in just a few weeks early in the new year. Uh, And one of the books that I hope we will use and plan currently to use is called How Jesus Runs the Church by Guy Prentice Waters. I highly recommend this book for actually any interested Presbyterian because he actually goes through the biblical case for the form of church government we have. Elders and deacons and what the roles are, how we relate to one another, what the church is all about. Actually, one of the most interesting chapters is what is the church? How is it governed? And Guy Prentice Waters goes through carefully pulling out the biblical case for the church government that we have the form of leadership that we have. And I highly recommend this book because going into the next 32 years of life at MetroCrest, we want to be praying for God to continue to bless us, for God to continue to provide leaders that will help us. This week, getting ready for this morning and really thinking about 32 years of God's love, it's impossible to really do that without thinking about the people who have helped us get to where we are today. And I actually went through the 32 years' worth of minutes and 32 years' worth of records, pulling out every record I could find and then coordinating with the, the today's elders and deacons. And uh, I just want to say some names that maybe haven't been said in a couple of years from this pulpit. Hugh Comer. Uh, Hugh Comer was our very first elder at MetroCrest. Hugh Comer, Tom Gillum, uh, Jeff Warsing, they were our three first ruling elders who joined Uh, the one teaching elder at that time, to help launch MetroCrest. And we're indebted to them. Uh, They they came into office in 1993. That's the same year they approved a philosophy of ministry. And guess what? 32 years later, 30 plus years later, we're going to be using their work as we think about the philosophy of ministry at MetroCrest today. We're going to be starting with what they put in place 30 years ago. We're going to be looking at that. It matters So we're thankful to God for Hugh and Tom and and Jeff. Uh, James Woods, who is on the session today, was elected as a ruling elder in the year 2000. Can you believe that? 21 years ago, James was first elected to be a ruling elder at our church. And here he is, 21 years later, still doing what the elder is called to do praise God for that Steve Wallen who is here uh, today also was elected in the year 2000 Troy Carter who's not here today was elected in 2002 Bill Camp in 2007 John Fowler was elected in 2010 Uh, David Sheets was elected in 2015 Larry Perry is our most recent uh, elected uh, elder who was elected in 2021 thank God for these godly men all sinners all imperfect but all eager to do the work of helping to lead the church in being the pillar and buttress of the truth. Thank God for them. And the same with our deacons. Alan Pond was our first deacon back in 1993. Jeff Colvin, who's here today, was elected a deacon in 2001. Jimmy Marble, uh, Joseph's dad, was elected a deacon in 2001. Paul Hargrove was elected a deacon in 2002. Bill Greiser of the famous... Greiser Dynasty, was elected in 2005. Uh, Henry Zettel, some of you will remember Henry Zettel, the late Henry Zettel, who was my son's uh, Boy Scout leader, uh, the late Henry Zettel was elected in 2008. Brian Sterenberg of the Sterenberg clan uh, was elected in 2010. Tom Owen in 2013. Daniel Greiser was elected in 2015. And then Justin Sterenberg, Will Grover, Josh Wyman, and Dalton Dallas were elected to be deacons of the church of the lord jesus christ in 2021 we're indebted to every single one of these godly selfless men aspiring to a noble task aiming to help the church accomplish what the church is called to do so very very grateful so very very grateful i mentioned uh, i failed to mention steve thomas who's here also one of our hard-working deacons we're so grateful for all of our deacons and all of our elders. Well, brothers and sisters, as we prepare prepare to begin another period of work and ministry, another year of mission, fulfilling the call of Christ, I am praying that God will continue to raise up for us godly leaders. And as we do that, I want to read just a, a couple of words in closing from Guy Prentice Waters' book. The conclusion sort of sums up why this matters he writes to understand the government of the church is to know and to glorify our lord jesus christ listen to that to understand the government of the church is to know and to glorify our lord jesus christ if you are a church officer then demonstrate your love for your savior by dedicating yourself afresh to your office and its responsibilities If you are not a church officer, then show your love for Jesus by praying for the officers of the church and their work. Take the time and effort to encourage them. And then finally he writes, Such attention to the government of the church is inseparable from the believer's discipleship. To show concern for the church is to show concern for Jesus. Brothers and sisters, pray for your officers. Pray for those who are going to be nominated. Pray for the process, the very human process, whereby using the gifts God has given us, we seek to discern the people He has given us so that the church can continue from strength to strength, can continue to be a bold and faithful witness to Jesus in the time to come as we await His return in glory.